This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. Today, with Thomas Lauderdale of Pink Martini. Thomas Lauderdale of Pink Martini, the lounge band from Portland, Oregon, formed in 1994. When I thought of doing a podcast on Christmas music, Thomas was one of the first people I wanted to talk to. I interviewed him in 2014 when Pink Flamingo was coming to New Orleans, and we ended up talking about Christmas music even though it had no bearing on the upcoming show. Pink Martini made its debut as part of the same lounge music revival that launched Combustible Edison and a ton of hi-fi reissues by such artists as Esquivel and Ema Sumac. But as Thomas talks about, Pink Martini had a very different origin story from other lounge bands, and because of that, it developed in a very different direction. After nine albums of original music, it's more musical and about far more than just crazy sounds and slick wardrobes. In 2010, Pink Martini released its uh, Christmas album, Joy to the World, it's among the band's best-selling albums, and is true to the spirit of Pink Martini, with a culturally inclusive song list that includes songs sung in at least four languages, including Japanese. Thomas and I talked while he was in the catacombs backstage at a theater preparing for a sound check. Unfortunately, that affects the quality of our call at times, but we worked so hard to try to find a time that to uh, interview that I couldn't let the moment pass. So bear with me, and here we go with my interview with Pink Martini's Thomas Lauderdale. What is the short version of the Pink Martini origin story? The short version? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, the short version is, is um, I thought I was, back in 1994, I, thought I just graduated from college. I thought I was going to try to run for mayor of Portland, and I was working on various political campaigns. And um, there was a nasty attempt to amend the Oregon Constitution to declare homosexuality illegal in the state of Oregon. So I was working on the campaign in opposition to this, and I had just seen Pee Wee Herman's Christmas special, which features all kinds of uh, amazing guest stars, including the, the Del Rubio triplets, who were somewhere between the ages of 70 and 80. They literally were triplets. They wore matching miniskirts and booties, and they played guitar and sing covers of Walk Like an Egyptian and Whip It. And so I brought them to town uh, to do a series of small concerts in nursing homes and hospitals and retirement homes and rotary meetings. Uh, and then they would say at the end of their set very sweetly, please vote no on Measure 13. Uh-huh. And at the end of the week, we had a big community-wide concert. I needed an opening act, so I threw on a cocktail dress and started doing martini. Excellent. So this was, so you didn't start, this didn't start the way, you know, sort of conventional bands start. This wasn't like you were sort of plotting your path up the charts. That this not at all, not at all. I, you know, like we, we just, you know, it was just simply because of the politics. And, um, and it sort of took off from there. We became sort of the house band for public, uh, progressive causes. Uh, so we played benefits for, you know, keeping, like the cleaning up the Willamette River or libraries or public broadcasting or uh, music in the schools or affordable housing, stuff like that. And um, so if there was a progressive, progressive cause, we probably played a benefit for it in those first uh, several years. And um, and we never really 
played outside the city limits of Portland. We just it, it was a, a band that started out as four, and then grew to six, and then eight, and then suddenly um, when we released our first album, uh, it became a surprise hit in France. And so we went from Portland, Oregon to France, and suddenly we had a kind of a, a, a career. We were actually touring in in France, and uh, and and then in more more uh, throughout Europe. And then eventually we sort of uh, started touring in the United States, but the, but the U.S. career started really much later than in Europe. So when you started, I mean, I, I, clearly, obviously, the context came first. What music were you playing? At the very beginning, we were playing very sort of like a lot of, a lot of Henry Mancini, uh, you know, Charade, uh, Moon River, It Had Better Be Tonight. Um, it was pretty campy. Although, you know, we also did, I think, almost in the beginning, a modern Leo and Brazil, uh, and then gradually added in sort of uh, the, the repertoire. Then became a little bit more inventive, and, and that's when we started doing our Afro-Cuban version of Ravel's Bolero or Nicuña's Andalusia, and it became kind of more um, less campy and more. Uh, uh, Kind of Afro-Cuban, Brazilian, sort of French music hall, kind of global, but uh, fun, but less less campy uh, right. and, and more just straight ahead earnest. So that by the time we we recorded the first album, most of the camp, the sense of that sort of the campiness, it sort of disappeared, and it was it was more. Um, uh, it was just, you know, the, the goal was to make beautiful songs that, uh, that, uh, that we, that I, you know, that I, w- I would want to hear myself. Right. So when you recorded Sympathetic, what did you have in mind? What you know, since you see, since you were working in such an unusual sort of career model, right. um, what did you, what were you thinking about as you went into that project? Well, the only thing I figured out was, like, what do I want to listen to? Uh, what music would I want to hear again and again? And, yeah, that was, that was actually the only goal. Like, nobody ever thought that it was going to, I guess we never imagined. I, I didn't think about record sales, and nor did anybody else in the band. Um, and so I, I think we didn't really take it. It wasn't, it was a very kind of, Carefree, uh, gut instinct kind of recording session, uh, where where I just sort of followed my gut instinct and um, and 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 created a, an album that I would want to listen to again and again, and that that was really the only goal. And then uh, and then so we, when we, and I thought I guess I thought in the back of my mind I thought, well if I like it, I think other people might like it. And uh, but I, I never imagined that we would uh, that it actually would sell so much. Um, uh, and that was back in 1997, uh, 22, 22 years ago. But it 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 it, um, it resonated somehow, and and we found an audience, uh, and largely that audience is still with us today, 22 years later. When 
turned brown Since you've been away There's a shadow on the town But when I close my eyes You are still around Especially on the days Where the snow falls down Moss-covered trees in the blue You're missing me I'm missing you Sugar plums dance And reindeer too I'll go to sleep recorded Joy to the World in 2010, right? Does that sound right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And this was your this was your fifth uh, fifth album at that point? Fifth album at that point. Okay. And I had, I had vowed to never do a holiday album because I always thought it was just cheesy and um, uh, but, but I love holiday music and so when Starbucks of all Organizations, Starbucks actually sort of commissioned our holiday album, and they said they said that they would buy you know like fifty thousand copies if we or a hundred thousand copies or something like that if we did one. So so we did, and it it it, um, uh, it, it certainly uh, has sold really really well. Uh, the the saving grace of it is that I love all the most all except one of the songs I like. Um, holiday album and I love holiday music and I really thought that it was an opportunity to uh, to explore holiday music from a pink martini perspective so that it wasn't just about Christmas but it was also about Chinese New Year and Hanukkah and um, you know, songs in Arabic uh, and um, New Year's Eve and, and so it became really a delightful project to work on and I think you know for me uh, one of the most amazing elements of that was the recording of White Christmas by, by Irving Berlin, uh, which was composed, I think, in 1941 or 42 for the film Holiday Inn. And um, I had just, uh, we had just started, um, we had just recorded a, 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 a song a cover of a song by Saori Yuki, the Father Streisand of Japan. And I thought it would be interesting to record White Christmas in Japanese. What I didn't realize uh, was that, that, he, that Irving Berlin, because he had fought during World War II, had, had actually specifically forbade that song being sung in Japanese. Um, 
the amazing thing was that that uh, we uh, uh, I think I think Michael Feinstein may have actually helped uh, help conversation happen. So we were able to talk with the the um, the, the Berlin estate, and and they they went ahead and gave us permission. And so it's the first time actually White Christmas has ever been sung or performed in or recorded in Japanese. So had you already had you already had it recorded when uh, when you found this out? Or were no, you... I don't think we had we did, hadn't recorded. Uh, we no, I don't think we. Uh, I think we waited for permission first, and then and then uh, and then we got it after a bit of negotiation. So um, for me, that was that was a really great moment to be able to. You know, perform this song that is probably the best known Christmas song there is. Um, in in uh, in Japanese, for the first time. Well, with with Saori Yuki, who we then went on to uh, collaborate and do a whole album with uh, our Japanese album, 1969, which was Saori Yuki's comeback album in Japan. Oh, cool! I love that version of Mashke Nada. Yeah. You know, you know who actually did that first in Japanese was Astrid Gilberto. Oh, really? So she recorded in 1969 this uh, 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 album with, uh, uh, in Japanese, actually. Astrid Gilberto album. And, uh, uh, and I loved that version of Masquerada. And, and since, the, uh, since the album... Was all about sort of hits from 1969, which is the year that uh, Saori Yuki got her start. Mashkinata, um, uh, since that had been recorded in Japanese in 69, we were able to to uh, uh, convince the the people at Sony Japan to to uh, put it on the album. Oh, that's great! When you did what you did, actually did two versions of White Christmas on uh, Joy to the World. Uh, yeah. Why do two? Well, because I thought uh, I thought that people would they would want to hear uh, that if you just did it in just Japanese, that might be too off-putting, and that um, uh, that that it would be good to preface it with with a very sort of slow uh, version. With just 
guitar and and uh, and China singing in English with a verse as well. Uh, he because that verse is not you know all uh, the verses of all of these Christmas songs and songs in general are, are almost never performed. Uh, but but for me, like the verse is always sort of set up with the chorus. You know, what's to follow? You know, in, in almost every case, like that's true. Uh, whether it's Blue Moon, uh, the Rukas did, um, or or White Christmas, or uh, I mean, I, I think the ver- verses are always really important. The sun is shining, the grass is green, the orange and palm trees sway. There's never been such a day in Beverly Hills, L.A. But it's December the 24th And I am longing to be up north I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I the interesting thing about that first verse for uh, White Christmas was, you know, that at some point Berlin realized, you know, that he actually advocated having it taken out because it, because people felt like it undercut the song um, because it felt like it was sort of here we are at poolside in Los Angeles on at Christmas and it's like and. It seemed really hard to feel for that guy, who's uh, uh-huh. who's ba- who's uh, basically out having the, you know, living the California dream, and right. and then thinking, oh, but I, maybe I'd also like to have that uh, that thing back on the East Coast, That's and uh, so that was that was the idea, and that was I think why when uh, when Bing recorded it, that he didn't want to do that part because he felt like wow. there was otherwise this really pure expression of longing. That could come from anywhere, and the 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 person doing the longing was a whole lot less sympathetic. Once you realize this person sitting at a pool in L.A., right? I could see that. So, I mean, I thought part I, of the beauty of your version still, is that. Still, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say part of the beauty of your version is that is that it becomes it still is sympathetic, but that's a function of the performance more so than the words themselves. Right, that's right, that's right. It's not, it's right, it's not smug in any way. It's, it's sort of real longing. Right. So now you've got me curious. Yeah. What is the one song on the album that you that you that you no longer uh, care for? Well, I I didn't even like it at the time, and I don't know. I guess I thought we needed to have something light and fluffy, and that is Santa Baby. You know that song is just really a, it's just horrible. <laughs> Baby, 
I've often seen it your way, and I actually have a friend who's a uh, a friend who's a music writer and who has real issues with this with in general sort of self infantilizing women um, as a uh, as a as a stance for interacting with with men, and and at the same time, I also like I've seen you know, the number of women who have recorded the song, and I always feel like. At some level, they are they're picking up on the idea that she's owning her sexuality and owning her desire, right? Which, which I may in only that Madonna re- sort of, the Madonna sort of way with like as in justify my love. Yes. Do you remember when she was on Nightline during the the, the debut of uh, the video for Justify My Love, and I think it was in 1991 with Ted Koppel. Yes. The the and and she says, well, he says, well, what about all of this imagery where? you're being tied up to a chair and this and that. And she said, well, I tie myself to my own chair. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, 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 I could see that. I, I, I see that point. I don't know if I necessarily buy it. I'm in, I'm in the same place. I think the only place I 100% was with it was, was simply an Eartha Kitt's version. And, yeah. But I think also because I also I can't take, I can't take race out of the equation and that this right, may be right. the only way that you know th- you know that an african-american woman trying to figure trying to negotiate trying to negotiate forward then one of the handful right. of one of the handful of frameworks that men saw well, for she her was, she was so amazing uh or the kid she you know the and 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 tragically you know like the uh with the um when she was sort of when she was at that luncheon at the White House during the Lyndon Johnson years, at a luncheon sponsored by Lady Bird Johnson, uh, she was really outspoken about Vietnam and was kind of blacklisted really from the United States for years, for decades. She's always been very gutsy. Yeah, no, I, I think, and 
Yeah, and it's it's the only version I the only version I ever returned to, and I and I don't return to it much. It's the one uh, I, I find all the covers lives so thoroughly in her shadow, and so many yeah, women singing true. the song are are so thoroughly walking in her steps that yeah. I haven't heard a version I have any sort of compelling reason to uh, to listen to. That's true, um, including ours. Uh, you know, I I just I don't. I, I, I wish that I could take it off the album. <laughs> <laughs> the strangest, if you haven't heard it yet, is Michael Bublé singing it. Santa Buddy, a 65 convertible to steel blue. I'll wait up for you, dude, Santa Buddy. And hurry down the chimney tonight Think of all the fun I miss I Think of all the hotties that I never kiss Next year I could be just as good If you check off my Christmas list Santa Pally I want a yacht and really that's not a he sings oh. it as he sings it as Santa Buddy and Santa it is Buddy Santa Buddy and it is the uh, broiest oh. that sounds dreadful that now, it would be interesting if he sang Santa Baby yes that would be interesting. That um, that that would have been something. Yeah. Instead, it sounds. You know, I'm here in New Orleans. I just I heard it like this is the Christmas song for an SEC tailgate party. You know, this is like done. <laughs> <laughs> it's the way you know. Oh it, it's, it's, it's the way to get a way to get a Christmas song in. It's just one short of saying, "Dude," and <laughs> this is terrible. Oh my God, Santa Buddy. Oh, that word, Buddy. I know. He couldn't even, and, and he couldn't even, he couldn't even like, but like, get it into kind of a Rat Pack sort of framing of Buddy. He couldn't enunciate it in a way that took you there. I think that's what we were right. supposed to do. Is we were supposed to hear it in a Rat Packy way, and uh, right. and I couldn't, and I, I couldn't make it. Yeah, is he? He's still huge, right? Is is Michael Bublé still huge? Yes. As far as I can tell, um, certainly when I mean, I mean, I think one of the things about you know this last Christmas season that you know he's you know his his Christmas music still all sells like crazy, and um, I don't know if you saw, did you? See, I don't know if you pay attention to the charts, but did you see this year that like Nat King Cole charted again on on the Hot 100, and so did oh, Dean Martin. Crazy. Yeah, the way they now calculate streams and converts convert streams into uh, into sales oh, wow. means that all oh, of these records mean. now sold better than many of the current these classics sold better than many sort of current pop songs that were current releases. Well, that's encouraging. That's really encouraging. Every year uh, we do uh, the Christmas tree lighting in Pine Cornell Square in Portland, where we play. Uh, uh, Christmas songs and and everybody in the square, like ten thousand people, sing along. And I remember when we were putting together the book for it several years ago. Um, 
everybody in the tiny courthouse square office wanted uh, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. And I was like, I, I didn't really, I don't like that song so much. Uh, and, and I said, well, can any of you sing it? And uh, none of them could sing it. Uh, uh, uh. They couldn't remember how it went because they're really, it's not, it's not really that memorable. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, and so my, my point is that a Christmas song really should be, you should be able to hear the title and then sing it immediately, like right. Silent Night or uh, Jingle Bells. I mean, these are Deck the Halls. Right. Or Deck the Hall. Uh, I mean, the, um, those are all sort of, they have a start and a finish, and it's very clear what's happening. But uh, with these sort of modern Christmas songs, it's, it's more elusive. I have to say, I recently, um, kind of while working on this podcast, actually, I kind of had a little bit of a conversion on the Mariah song. I like it better oh, than I used to. Um, I, mainly because I think she has become just such a, you know, just such a persona. It was very hard to hear it as anything but an extension of, of her persona. And, you know, I kind of one day actually stopped to listen to it again. And she doesn't do nearly as much as, much as sort of the vocal, you know, pyrotechnics as, you, as we became used to with her. And it, it's, it's a more controlled vocal. And it really is a very girl group song, um, both in musical structure and in lyrics. Can you can you sing the first line though? I don't want a lot for Christmas. I just want to da, da. Yeah, I can I can get to it. I'm not, I don't sing well enough to sing it with any confidence or pride. Um, right. But yeah, I can do the all I want for Christmas. Um, so, yeah, I can. You the, know, because uh, I think that that opening line, which is. I, I, I don't want a lot. Entirely how it goes. It's, da, 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 da. It's, it's like something like that. Yeah. It's slow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But if, if, if I were to ask you to sing the first line of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Yeah, I can do which that. Which is kind of similar just in terms of uh, this, the vocal spread of the lines, which the, is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. That's much easier. Right. It's a better song, actually. Sure. Well, it's also a function of different, I mean, I think of different eras and different, you know, the fact is, every, you know, I mean, every, it, everything Mariah did and, and, and contemporary pop singers are doing is all written to be an extension of them or chosen to be right. an extension right. of them. Right. And every, you know, everything is, you know, in a, is at some level an exercise in image construction and uh, an exercise in persona. And whereas, you know, we go back to, you know, the, to the, you know, the, the classics and to go back to, you know, earlier, an earlier pop, t- uh, a sort of a pre, pre-Beatle, a pre-British invasion pop era, you know, the songs are about the songs first. Right, right. That's right. So That's right. now I won't make a hard defense, uh, a, a, a spirited defense of the Mariah song. But I do like it far more than I used to. Um, I still hear and it too would, much. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think that that uh, next year's holiday book will probably end up doing that. But it's just it'll it's it'll be the roughest one. Right. Maybe do it for sing along. It'll be the one. The one I mean, by the 
end of it, maybe people will be able to, to sort of uh, chant, all I want for Christmas is you. But even then, it's like, what is the melody? Right. I'm not really quite sure. Thanks to Thomas for the time and the talk. Pink Martini is on tour this spring, so check its tour schedule to see if it is coming your way. You can find Pink Martini and 12 Songs of Christmas on Facebook, so stop by and let us know what you thought of this conversation. Also, thanks to AF the Naysayer for our theme music. You can find his new EP now, Parts, Act One. Thanks to you for listening, and we'll finish with one more from Pink Martini's Joy to the World. This is Ocho Candelicas. Talk to you again soon. Hanukkah linda está aquí. Ocho candelas para mí. Hanukkah linda está aquí Ocho candelas para mí Oh, una candelica, dos candelicas Tres candelicas, cuatro candelicas